Have you ever pretended to be someone you're not in order to attract positive attention or deflect negative attention? When I was in college, a girl caught my fancy and she was really into Jeeps and country music. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm not a Jeep and country music kind of a guy. But I sincerely believed, I, I got myself to believe from the bottom of my heart that all I really wanted was a four-wheel drive Jeep all to myself and maybe someone in the passenger seat. I pretended to like country music. And uh, it was like, hey, you're into country music. I'm into country music. Let's have a conversation. It didn't work. It didn't work. Thanks be to God. <laughs> it never does, though, right? Have you ever felt kind of tempted to, to pretend someone you're not? To attract positive attention, deflect negative attention? Sometimes we pretend on social media, don't we? To be uh, really concerned about an issue. And, you know, if you scroll through our, our Twitter feed or our Facebook page, you'd be like, wow, this person really, really cares about other people. But then our time, our money, our energy kind of just goes to serve ourselves and our interests. Sometimes we, have you ever just kind of puffed your stats just a little bit? Puffed your stats just a little bit at work? Puffed your stats just a little bit? in sports or whatever arena matters to you? Have you ever just rounded up a little bit too much? Why don't we round down ever? Have you ever rounded down? Why don't we round down? Uh, we've talked about, I've talked with a couple people about this and they were sharing with me that sometimes when we're around our families, that's when we really start to pretend because we've changed. We've changed since we've seen our family last, but when we're sitting around the, the uh, Thanksgiving table and people are really getting into their opinions, we just kind of smile and nod because if we didn't smile and nod, it would lead to a more intense conversation and we don't like those. So we can pretend to be someone that we're not. When someone's talking about their favorite beer or their favorite book, we just shit, yeah, just a little bit too vigorously. Anytime there's someone to impress, anytime there's someone who could include us, or anytime there's someone to fear, we can put on a face and just start pretending. Now, what happens when we get to a season like Lent? What happens when there's this call to, to, to fast and pray and give our money away to love our neighbor and wear ashes on our forehead? Oh, we can pretend. We can get into it, can't we? We can, we can maybe even think what we're pretending with God, pretending with the Father, like we could fool him to think that we're someone that we're actually not. And we can really try to get into Lent. We can really try the spiritual disciplines. We can, we can really try to care when deep inside we're just putting on a show. In the long term, one of the things that I found from, from mistakes is that pretending is exhausting. 
Pretending wears me out. It takes all kinds of energy to puff the stats. It takes all kinds of energy to pretend I'm uh, someone that I'm actually not. Have you ever just felt so tired of pretending, so tired of putting on a show, putting on a face? There's a much better way to, to do Lent, to do all of life than to pretend. A much more refreshing way, a much more restful way a way that if we follow it, we'll become, instead of an exhausting presence to other people and ourselves, we become a life-giving presence to other people and ourselves. We'll become like a fountain, overflowing with life and love for, for other people. So this is the way of Jesus that we're going to talk about. The way of Jesus is rooted in a truth, which is that the Father, God the Father, lives in reality. God the Father lives in reality. He will not pretend with us. He will not play our game. Um, He will not play along. Father knows exactly what we're doing. He knows our motives, not in a uh, I gotcha way, but in a benevolent way, in a loving way, in a tender way, like a father with his children. The father is rooted in reality. Look with me at Matthew chapter six. Now here we have the words of the Son, the words of Jesus the Son, who is immersed in the presence of the Father, who spent uh, an eternity with the Father in heaven, who just came off 40 days with the Father in the desert. So he really knows the heart of the Father. And here's what he says. He says in verse one, hey, beware of practicing. You could also translate this play-acting Beware of play-acting your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Don't try to pretend with Father. He's totally gonna see it. It's not going to work. I mean, you could be skilled in fooling yourself. I'm very skilled in fooling myself. You could, be, you could actually have everyone fooled around you. But Father isn't fooled. Father isn't fooled, and that's a relief. He can't be manipulated, and that's a relief. We can stop pretending in his presence. From his gracious throne in heaven, Father sees reality as it is, what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, Jesus says in verse two, he he says, hey, when you give to the needy, which is a, it really is a way to love God. It's a way to love our neighbor. We we should all give to the needy. We're all going to practice that in Lent together. Um, he says, don't sound a trumpet before you. Don't let other people know that you're doing it as the hypocrites do, the play actors do in the synagogues, in the streets. Why would they do that? Well, that they may be praised by others. That they may be praised by others. Have you ever done a good deed because you really just, in your heart of hearts, wanted people to see it, notice it, and be like, whoa, what a generous dude. Jesus says, Father knows that, and so don't let that be your motivation. Verse three, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Father sees what you're doing and why you're doing it. Jesus says when you pray, verse five, don't be like the hypocrites. They they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That they may be seen by others. This is the heart of just being a religious person. 
Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, he says, verse six, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a room here that Jesus used, uh, there's a word for, for room that Jesus used here. It's kind of like the smallest room in your house, like the pantry or the, or the storage closet. Or that, you know, maybe for us it'd be like the unfinished basement. You know, do you have any unadorned rooms in your house where you don't put any effort into making it nice? That's the room you go in and pray to your father. Not like it's some law. He's helping us get to the heart of what it's like to commune with a father. Go into an unadorned room and have an unadorned conversation with father. Wouldn't you like to have that? Wouldn't you like to be able to tell him honestly what's on your heart? He's a father. He's a dad. He cares about you because you're his daughter, you're his son. So go into the unadorned room and have at it with Father. That's the kind of prayer life we can have with a Father who's rooted in reality. And he says in verse 16, later all the way down in verse 16, um, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, um, don't post about it on Facebook like the hypocrites, for they change their profile picture that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Father won't live in a pretend world with us. He knows what's motivating our behavior. And then, you know what? He knows our needs before we ask him. This is probably... The most comforting part for me about the Father living in reality is it says in verse seven, you know, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, he says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Sometimes as a dad, I see the nonverbals of my kids. They don't even tell me what's going on, but I can tell that they want something or that they need something. Earthly fathers are somewhat attentive to their kids. Our heavenly father is generously, lovingly, and in reality-based, completely aware of what his kids need, what his kids feel, what his kids want. And Jesus says, don't even bother pretending. Just let them know what's on your heart. Let them know what you need. Get real with the father. It will be a relief. It is a relief to stop living in manipulation, to lying to ourselves and other people. It's ultimately loving for our father to do this. It's a loving thing for a father to bring his kids back to reality. It's not always easy. Any parent will tell you that it's not always easy. Fathers and mothers know how to get real with their kids. And this Lent is a season for us to get real with Father. Let him know what's going on. Stop playing two lives. Sometimes we play two lives out of fear. We have a secret life that we don't want anyone to know about, and then we have our upstanding life that we want everyone to know about. Father knows about both, and he wants to bring them both together because they're both lies. He wants us to live in the truth. He wants us to live in freedom. 
So come back to your true home. Come back to your true father. What would be a relief for you to talk to father about? What would be a, a, a wonderful thing, just a weight off your soul to be able to have an out, out of conversation with your father about? Lent can be 40 days in the pantry with the father of honest conversations. Our father lives in reality. Another thing to know about the father as we go into Lent is that our father is laser focused on reconciliation with his children. He doesn't just live in reality about his children, he seeks reconciliation with his children. So Jesus talks about this. This isn't nicey-nice pretending everything's okay, which is another form of pretending. This is reality-based reconciliation with his kids. Father will give anything for that reconciliation. He gave his son to die for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be reconciled with the Father. And then as we are forgiven, then we as his children then begin to extend the forgiveness that we have received. Freely forgiven, freely we forgive. That's the Father's way for his children. Jesus talks about this in the Lord's Prayer. This is embedded in the Lord's Prayer, verse nine of Matthew six. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, meaning let your way come here. Um, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus gives one final bit of commentary on, on this prayer. He says this, verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. What's Jesus saying? He's saying at the heart of the kingdom of the father is forgiveness. At the heart of the, of the house and the will of the father is forgiveness and reconciliation. And if you refuse reconciliation and forgiveness, if it cannot extend through you, then you have not entered the house yet. Jesus is calling us to this reconciliation. He tells a story later on about the prodigal son, Luke 15. You've got a younger brother who's kind of hedonistic. And then you've got an older brother who's super religious and uptight. The younger brother uh, pulls a fast one on his dad, takes his inheritance, squanders it uh, on a journey of self-discovery and hedonistic pleasure. Then he kind of comes crawling back with a plan to earn the money back and just survive. The father goes out even before the younger brother can arrive and forgives him, puts his cloak around him, restores his dignity, invites him into a feast. Well, then the older brother, the older brother is the one who keeps score. You know what I'm talking about? Score, have you ever kept a score? Have you been keeping a score? Do you, has anyone kept a score against you? Will you just remember who hurt you and the grievances that you have? And All right, well, that's the older brother. And the older brother doesn't wanna go feast with the younger brother. Well, the father goes out to get him too. The father goes out to seek the younger brother. The father also goes out to seek the resentful older brother. 
He wants them sitting around a table together and reconciled. In what way do you need the Father to pursue you? Do you need him to come out and find you? Because there's, a, there's like a sin that you think he can't forgive or you don't want him to know about or you're not ready to level with yourself about so that he can forgive you, restore your dignity, invite you back to the feast? Or maybe you're finding yourself in the position of elder brother. There's sins that you need to forgive, but you need the Father's help. The Father is seeking reconciliation. He's not withholding it. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you tonight. He's pursuing you in Lent. Do you need help forgiving? Do you need help extending that forgiveness? Has someone betrayed you? Have you betrayed somebody? The Father's reconciliation is deeper than betrayal. His love is deeper than betrayal. Now, this doesn't mean trusting someone who's been abusing us, but it means from the heart, receiving and extending the forgiveness that we have received, that we can receive at the Father's hand. So our Father, you know, he lives in reality about his children, and he seeks reconciliation with his children. Finally, Jesus says without any apology that our father rewards his children. Our father is a rewarding father. He is overflowing with an intention to reward his children. Now, this is not works righteousness where we earn God's favor. This is grace-based overflow of the father's love into our life that we experience now, even in our suffering, and we experience in a much greater way when we see the Father face to face. It's the nature of the Father to reward his children. He overflows with life and love. For instance, what happens when you give to the needy as unto the Father, to please your Father? Well, verse four says, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What happens when you enter that unadorned prayer closet and just level with him? Verse six, your father who sees in secret will reward you. What about fasting? When we fast in order to feast on the father's love, verse 17, your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's reward upon reward upon reward. And if Jesus wasn't clear enough, hear him again in verse 19 of Matthew six. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Well, why? Because you're selfish? No, because they won't last. Look, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, rewards in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Father's heart is to reward his children in response to our coming to him for those rewards. In his book, Delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves says this, Many theologians have liked to compare the Father to a fountain, ever bursting out with life and love. And just as a fountain, to be a fountain must pour forth. So the Father, to be a Father, must give out life. That's his nature. That's who he is. That's his most fundamental identity. Thus, love is not something the Father has, not merely one of his many moods, 
Rather, he is love. He could not not be love. If he did not love, he would not be father. That's the father's heart for us and for you. It's to reward us with love. It's to overflow with love. The father is the reward. At the end of the day, the father is the reward. He was Jesus' reward. It's rewarding to be around the father. Father is a refreshing, life-giving presence, and we see that in the person of Jesus, his son, who reflects his nature perfectly. It is rewarding to be, to be resting as a son or a daughter in the arms of the father, in the bosom of the father. It's rewarding, it's refreshing, it's life-giving, and it is, an, it is available to everyone here, whether you are in Christ tonight or considering what it would be like to follow Christ. It's available to you. He gives us all kinds of blessings. He gives us daily bread, food, shelter, protection. He gives us community. He gives us meaningful work and many other gifts of daily human life. But most of all, he gives us his son whom we need the most. He didn't withhold his son whom he loves above all else. He didn't withhold his son. He gave us his son. He gave us his spirit. He gives us his presence. He is available to us this Lent. He has poured out upon us grace upon grace upon grace, and it is upon him that we feast. It is upon him that we feast. It's the reason that we fast, because there's a greater reward. It's the reason we pray, there's a greater reward. It's the reason that we give money. There's a greater reward than having a larger bank account balance. It's the reward of the Father and his Son and his Spirit, and it's available to you. Reeves says again, have you ever known someone so magne uh, magnetically kind and gracious, so warm and generous of spirit that just a little time spent with them affects how you think, feel, and behave? Someone whose very presence makes you feel better. This is a little picture of how God the Father is. Father is refreshing. And when we stop pretending to be someone that we're not, and we spend some unadorned time with our Father, we become sources of refreshment for our family, our friends, our neighbors, anyone that we would otherwise pretend around. We become a life-giving source of the Father's love for the people around us. And the people around us are hungry and thirsty for that kind of a presence in their life. There's too many people who are pretending today. Too many people to be uh, play-acting someone that they're not. Too few people who have that refreshing, authentic, life-giving presence capable of handling anything, capable of loving even in the face of, of hate or confusion or conflict. If you want to become a truly life-giving person in Lent, if I want to become a truly life-giving person in Lent, the call for all of us is to become children again, to spend it with the Father, and to enjoy him as our greatest reward. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.